Hello, and welcome to Living Literally, the podcast for readers, writers, and those that teach them. I'm your host, Tahima Noel. Each month, I will be bringing you a different book club selection that we will be reading together, kind of like a podcast book club. The book will be explored over two episodes. The first will focus on my review and breakdown of the book. The second will focus on listener responses to the book. Let's dive in. Hello, and thank you so much for returning to this podcast. We are on episode six, and today we will be focusing on our closeout episode of Clap When You Land. But first, a little personal update. So as anybody who is in the education field or knows and loves a person in the education field, you know that September is, (laughs) it is a mad rush. It is the month that I disappear on people because I am just diving into getting this new school year all settled and started. And this year has been especially busy for me because I have taken on two new roles in my career um, as well as doing this podcast. So apologies that it is coming out later than I had scheduled it to come out. It's actually 8 p.m. on a Thursday night and I am tired, hence why I am stumbling over my words. But you're going to get the real me at all times. And right now, the real me is tired from kicking off the school year, but also feeling very joyful and happy. My new roles um, have just given me a new shift in purpose in my education field and is, are bringing me a lot of joy. I am incredibly, incredibly happy and fulfilled right now. And I am excited to get back into this book and also to explore the or announce the book for October. I'm really, really excited about it. So let's get right into finishing and closing out Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. I was never afraid of flying in the past. But today, the rise of the plane made my stomach plunge. I had a middle seat, and the woman beside me kept the window shade open the entire time. I peeked once and saw the huge blue ocean below us. I kept my eyes shut completely after that, even when the flight attendant asked if I wanted juice, even when the man next to me farted loudly, even when the pilot said we were descending. And there was a moment when the wheels first touched down that my heart plummeted in my chest. But then we were slowing, and a smattering of passengers erupted into applause. The old lady in the seat beside me said in Spanish, They don't do that as much anymore. This must be a plane of Dominicans returning home. When you touch down on this soil, you must clap when you land. Para da gracias a Dios, regazamos. And I smiled back. Although I've flown in the States for different tournaments, this is my first time in another country. In the airport, the messages are bilingual. The customs line is long, and I scan the form I filled out on the plane with all my information. 
I pay $10 for a tourist card and I'm afraid I will be rejected. I answer all the customs agent's questions about where I am staying and why I am here. Her hard eyes soften a bit when I mention my father's funeral. She scans my passport and then I am walking through the doors. Here, I am here, I am here, and then I see that so is she. Camino reaches up and touches my cheek. Te pareces igualito a él. And it's true, I've always favored my father, but so does she. In real life, it's not quite like looking into a mirror. Her eyes are light, a hazel color, her lashes long. She is supermodel thin where I am curvier, and for a moment I want to smack her hard. For wearing my face, for looking like a Yahara light version of me for so clearly being my father's daughter and then guilt sweeps over me. I am the one he left her for. She said on video chat he called her India Linda and I wonder what he saw when he looked at her. Her eyes fill, but I know she won't cry. She seems like the kind of girl who can will her eyes to unmake tears. You look just like him, except your eyes. Poppy never knew how to hide what he felt but you know how to draw down window shades. And I know she means that all the anger I feel is locked inside, that I am blank faced the way I was at the chessboard. We look like him. You must have gotten your coloring from your mother. She nods and sucks in a deep breath, the mention of her mother wiping the softness from her face. She drops her hand. We both take a step back. Pages 323 to 326. Okay, so this week I decided to do something a little bit differently. And instead of answering mailbag questions, I decided to go on to goodreads.com. If you are a bookworm and you haven't gotten onto bookreads.com or haven't started to use it, um, let me highly recommend to you a really great site. I've been using it for more than five years now. It is a virtual bookshelf where you keep track of the books you're currently reading, the books you've read. You can rate books, you can write reviews, you can talk to other people about the book. And one of the, I don't want to say newest because I've been seeing it for maybe more than a year now, but one of the really cool features of this website is that the author's also are featured there and have their own accounts and they sometimes go into their own books and annotate and write little notes about what they were thinking, what they were writing. And Elizabeth Acevedo has done this on Goodreads for Clap When You Land. So I thought I'd share some of the excerpts that she highlighted and some of the things that she said about the book that kind of illuminate what she was thinking while she was writing it or how her own personal history and personal life relate to the book because I think this is a cool feature. I've seen it done with books that I absolutely adore and it is so much fun. So one of the first ones that I thought was really cool was she highlighted the line about 3% into the book where it says, I am beginning to learn that life-altering news is often like a premature birth, ill-timed, catching someone unaware, emotionally unprepared, and often where they shouldn't be. 
And Acevedo wrote about that, that this passage was one of the first I ever wrote, except it was originally in Yehera's voice. In the final version of the novel, each sister has a poem that begins with how each one deals with life, quote unquote, life altering news. And of course, that's a great way to start. And what I love about these annotations is sometimes they show you the writing process that this line went from one sister's voice to the other sister's voice it also helped her see how she could connect them by making them both start off with these kind of this is how I deal with bad news moments and so you start to see the connections between the two sisters right from the start of the novel and we're going to keep rolling with this but I think if you are a writer as well, it's fun to go in here and watch how writers talk about their craft and the changing of their novel. And I also think it's really telling that an author still remembers like where it started, right? She can still, after you know how many years it takes to write a book, it's been out for a while, and she can still look back at this passage and go, oh yeah, I originally wrote this this way and intended it to be this, and it turned into and flowered and bloomed into what you see today. Let's look at the next one. And I am skipping some, so if you want to check this out, there are other ones you can go back to. I'm just picking out a few that... I feel her cool and that I would like to speak to. So about 23% into the book, she talks about this piece. Playing chess taught me a queen is both deadly and graceful, poised and ruthless, quiet and cunning. A queen offers her hand to be kissed and can form it into a fist while smiling the whole damn time. And she says about this part that she's always enjoyed reading this passage out loud because it has such fun sound devices at play, rhythm established by the list of attribute a queen possesses, and then the soft rhyme between kissed and fist. And I just heard it myself as I was reading it out loud. I'd also like to use this moment to point out that Elizabeth Acevedo has a lot of content on YouTube. Um, as much as I enjoy reading her poetry on this podcast, I am not doing it half the justice that she does. There are so many good clips of her reading, not just from this book, but also from the poet X. She's a very passionate reader and I highly recommend you go check her out. The next one she has is 24% into the book and it says, can you be from a place you have never been? You can find the island stamped all over me, but what would the island find if I was there? Can you claim a home that does not know you, much less claim you as its own? And Acevedo writes about this, that being the child of immigrants, the feeling that I occupy and in-between space has been very prevalent for me. I'm very proud of my heritage and it is complex to wonder if I reflect in ways that would make the Dominican Republic proud of me. This quote is so vulnerable and open and honest and I love it and I also wanted to point it out for the teachers out there books like this can I've heard a quote actually I think it was Frederick Douglass he talked about when he first learned to read and in in his autobiography there was a quote where he talked about where he, when he first learned to read and the passages gave words to the feelings within him that he didn't know how to express. And when we talk about books being, you know, sliding glass doors and windows and mirrors, 
we need to be putting books like this into the hands of our kids because this might be something they feel but don't know how to express until they read it coming from someone else. So reading, giving books to immigrant children or children of immigrants that are written by and own voices by people who relate to them in this way is can be so powerful. So this being, we are in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month. I have to say that books like Clap When You Land are books that we should be giving to our Hispanic children. There was another one. I feel like I must have scrolled past it. Let me go back. Oh, yes. So the moment where um, Yahara is quoting her father's lessons to her. So uh, 22% into the book, it says, fight until you can't breathe. And if you have to forfeit, you forfeit smiling. Make them think you let them win. And Acevedo says, as I was writing, I wanted to make sure that the lessons that Poppy taught each girl were really specific to the kind of relationship he had with them and what he imagined they might need if he was no longer around. And this one really made me sit back and think about what I observed while I was reading the book. And there is a kind of hardness to Poppy and Yahara's relationship where he is kind of like making her really tough. And that passage that I just read to you shows that Yahara has learned to have this poker face and appear really hard to the outside world. Whereas Camino, he spends a lot of time protecting her, right? Like when he is gone, her protection is gone. And it's very is the word dichotic? I think it's dichotic. Yeah. It's two-handed. So it, it's interesting because I've had conversations with people as a mother where you learn you have to mother your children in different ways and the ways that they need. And I wonder if that's what Poppy thought he was doing in making Yahara, who was growing up in New York City, hardened to the outside world, whereas Camino, who is living in the DR, He's just about protecting her and protecting her softness. And of course, in that passage, you also see that both of them have their ways of protecting their emotions, right? Yahara has hardened and she can hide whatever she's feeling in her eyes. Whereas Camino, while still tearing up, is still able to hold it back. So they both kind of got some of that from their father, but in very different ways and through very different lessons. And again, there's more of these. Um, by Acevedo on goodreads.com if you go to the Clap When You Land book page. So you can check out everything that she wrote. She only did about 10 of them. It's not the whole book, but it is kind of like a treat for readers to hear from their author after the book is over and, and look back at what they were trying to create. I also wanted to talk for a minute and maybe read a bit of the section from the end, the acknowledgments, I believe, is where, not the acknowledgments. Nope, nope, nope. It's the forward <laughs> where um, Acevedo kind of talks about why she wrote this book and what she was trying to highlight with this book. And it is dedicated in memory of the lives lost on American Airlines Flight 587, which, as I said in the last episode, was a flight that I didn't 
learn about until picking up this book. Okay, it's not in the forward. Where is it? Yeah, it was in the, it's in the author's note. I'm not going to read the whole author's note, but she said, when I was 13 years old, two months and one day after September 11th, 2001, flight 88587 crashed to the ground in Queens, New York. It was on its way to Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. 265 plus five people on the ground died. More than 90% of the passengers were of Dominican descent. Many were returning home. It completely rocked the New York Dominican community. It is the second deadliest aviation crash in United States history. Up next, I will be announcing October's book read. I am so excited about this book. I cannot wait to jump into it and give you some information about it. Please stay tuned. Okay, so the announcement that I have been waiting for is October's book club read will be The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson. This book just came out on September 8th. I feel like I have been waiting for it for months because once again, I have chosen an author who I completely fangirl over. Tiffany D. Jackson is one of my favorite authors. In fact, I own all of her books, have read all of her books. They're all amazing. They all grip you. She is an amazing writer. And I actually have been, as part of my job, I've been doing book talks in multiple schools on multiple grade levels. And when I tell you Every class has gone insane for this book and I only read them the first page. It is just so well-crafted from the gate, but what else could you expect from, I think this is her fifth book. I can probably name them all. I have read Allegedly, Monday's Not Coming, Grown, and now this one. So it's her fourth book, if unless I'm forgetting one, and she's probably also written with other people. Anyway, what Tiffany D. Jackson is known for is she takes current event news stories and turns them into novels. Grown was her last book and Grown was about R. Kelly without saying it's R. Kelly, right? It's about a young girl who starts being courted by this music artist and doesn't realize that she's in danger until she's trapped in his mansion. So, you know inferencing skills. This book is about a news story that came out a few years back where there was a town in the South that still in the 2010s was having segregated proms and it kind of blew up when, when at least I know it went social media viral, if not on regular news stations. And so what Jackson did was she took that story and combined it with Stephen King's Carrie to make this amazing book. And I am calling it amazing, even though I'm only on chapter two, because of the reaction I am getting from students about wanting to read this book. And 
you, 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 you pull them in with the blood and gore and perfect for October. But you're also going to be able, by bringing this book into your classroom or using it, to start those conversations about the issues that are still prevalent in America around race. Let me read you the back of the book, or actually the book jacket. When Springville residents, at least the ones still alive, are questioned about what happened on prom night, they all have the same explanation. Maddie did it. An outcast at her small town Georgia high school, Madison Washington has always been a teasing target for bullies. And she's dealt with it because she has more pressing problems to manage. Until the morning, a surprise rainstorm reveals her most closely kept secret. Maddie is biracial. She has been passing for white her entire life at the behest of her fanatical white father, Thomas Washington. After a viral bullying video pulls back the curtain on Springville High's racist roots, student leaders come up with a plan to change their image, host the school's first integrated prom as a show of unity. The popular white class president convinces her black superstar quarterback boyfriend to ask Maddie to be his date, leaving Maddie wondering if it's possible to have a normal life. But some of her classmates aren't done with her just yet. And what they don't know is that Maddie still has another secret, one that will cost them all their lives. New York Times bestselling author Tiffany D. Jackson returns to the horror genre with a chilling and suspenseful story about the real horrors of American racism and the terrifying power of one girl to reclaim her life. I am so excited about this book and I just, I'm going to have to read you this opening. It is one of the most powerful book openings I've ever read. And it is what has gotten my students dying to read this book. Chapter one, Maddie did it. Episode one. It all started with the rain. The Springville Massacre Commission from the sworn testimony of Mrs. Amy Lecter. We heard the crash first, right before the lights went out. We don't live too far from the country club. Our son, Cole, even worked there during the summers as a caddy. Made good money too. Anyway, next we smelled the smoke and ran out onto the porch. I could just make out them flames over the treetops. That club must have been brined in gasoline. It lit the sky purple. My husband, George, jumped in his truck to head on over there while I sat on the porch and waited and waited and waited. Two whole hours, I waited to hear something. Had no idea what was going on. Phones weren't working. Just as I was fitting ahead over there myself, I see Cole walking out the dark, limping down our driveway, eyes wide like he saw the face of God. I was so relieved that he was all right that I ran up and gave him a great big hug. But he was soaking wet, like he done grabbed his tux right out the wash and threw it on. It wasn't until I stepped away that I noticed red all over my robe and started screaming. We took him down to the hospital. Not a scratch on him, but they transferred him to the mental ward on account he wouldn't talk. Still won't talk much. And my Cole, he was a talker. From day one, we couldn't get him to shut up if we tried. He was the tattletale of the family, always ripping and running. Now, he barely moves, barely blinks, just stares off at nothing. Only two kids survived prom night at that country club. 
Cole was one of them. They say when you go through something like that, your instincts kick in. So his mind must have told him to come on home. He walked over two miles through the mud with one shoe covered in the blood of other children. When I asked him what happened, he just kept mumbling. Maddie did it. And so at this point, like every student in the class is going crazy. They want to know what's the author again? What's the title? Can I take a picture? Where can I get it? And I hope and know you are feeling the same exact way. Please join me in purchasing this book, reading this book, and we will be discussing it next month. The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening in again to my little podcast. I really appreciate your love and support. Please continue to support the show by subscribing and sharing with other bookworms in your life. Let them know that they can listen wherever podcasts are available. Let them know that I tried out a country accent uh, for this episode. I just re-listened to it and I'm giggling at myself. Uh, But I had fun doing it and I hope you had fun listening to it. Please read this book. Hopefully you are already ordering it. And join me back here on October 11th is when I plan to put out the next episode. So we will go over this book. And until next time, go out and live. Literally. Literally.